friends, and welcome back to our next episode of Holy Conversations, a podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I'm so glad to be in studio today with my co-host, Reverend Bob Kaler. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing very well. We're talking today with Megan Rigorix on rural ministry, and it got me thinking about sort of first experiences of church and my own first experience of church in a very small Presbyterian Church in Tunnelton, Pennsylvania, where oh, wow. I was baptized, a church that was established in 1878. My mm. family went there for, for a long time. It was my grandparents' church. And I remember going back there for, I was baptized in that church. There's a lot of great memories there. And actually, my cousin Mike is now the pastor of that church. There are six faithful people who are still holding on there. But, wow. I, but I had the chance to preach there a couple of years ago, and and that was a powerful experience. So, Stephanie, I don't know what your experience of church is. D- do you have yeah. small church experience in your background? You know, a little bit. My very first memory of church is when my dad, who was a pastor in the Methodist church for 43 years, he was given the charge of starting a new church in Topeka, Kansas. So Topeka is not a small town, but it's not real big either. And uh, I just remember running around as a little kid there as they were building the new church and uh, didn't realize all of the challenges and opportunities that my dad had as he was starting that new church. I just remember having fun playing around as they were building the church. But yeah, it's amazing when you think about the uh, impact that rural churches have mm-hmm. on the faith, because I mean, those are the people in uh, that are hard workers. They are great people. And I'm excited to be talking to Megan about that today. So we want to introduce Megan Rigorix, who's a deacon in the Missouri Conference. She's the pastor of Buckland and Mount Zion churches in Buckland and Salisbury, Missouri. And Megan also consults with rural churches through her website, growingruralministries.com. Had the chance to meet Megan. I was speaking for an event, an online event for the Missouri WCA chapter, and uh, just uh, was listening to her speak and listening about her ministry. I thought we've got to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Megan. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Uh, This is, this is, my passion. And so uh, getting the word out about uh, that rural churches can and are growing. And uh, so uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us your story of how you were called to ministry and about your heart and passion for rural churches. Sure. Well, as you all talking about your uh, first experiences of church, I have a very broad range of church experience. I grew up in the church. um, And because my parents were divorced, uh, I lived in a couple of different kinds of communities. I experienced suburban, urban, and rural life and church life. Uh, my home church growing up was in the heart of downtown Peoria, Illinois. Uh, so I participated in our youth ministry and our outreach ministries with the homeless and with an inner city school. Uh, but my dad and my stepmom lived in um, a smaller community of about 600 people. And um, we attended a couple of different churches with them until uh, they settled on the local Baptist church in that community. Um, so for most of my growing up years, uh, my mom lived sort of on the edge of sub- suburbia and the school district line was just across the street. Uh, so the school I attended was actually more of a rural school district while my friends down the block attended uh, one of the city school districts. So I had 
uh, kind of a taste of life in, in all different places um, and absolutely fell in love with rural life and rural ministry. Uh, my husband, in fact, is from St. Louis. And before we started dating, I told him I was never going to live in the city. I would not raise a family in the city. And if that's a deal breaker, there's the door. <laughs> <laughs> So. I think that's so great. I, lo I love hearing about that. And so with your uh, experience there in rural churches, tell us a little bit more about how, how you got to be where you are today. So my call came when I was in high school. Um, I uh, was at a, uh, a church camp in uh, Cedar Canyon, Texas, and um, we were in small groups. Uh, with a bunch of other kids and so my youth group was this big inner city youth group from Peoria, Illinois and all the other kids were from rural Texas and we were all split up in all these different groups and um, so we were talking about our experience of church and um, the other students in in the small group there was just they didn't have the same love for their church that I had for mine and for their experience of church. There was a disconnect that um, I was sure was not because of the size of their church. Um, later that week, there was an altar call for anyone who felt called to mission work. Um, and it was that Wesley's heart strangely warm kind of moment for me. Um, and I went forward. Um, I wanted to see the world. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I thought what better way to do that than as a missionary. But um, God had other intentions for that call. Um, I went to college and ended up studying youth ministry. I had my first youth pastor job while I was in school serving a rural church. Um, built that ministry from basically zero to um, 15 kids that year. And um, my senior pastor encouraged me to look into ordination and that role of a deacon um, just resonated with me. Um, I didn't do a good job in that ministry of uh, handing that ministry off to the church before I went to seminary. Um, so it took the success and the failure to figure out what that disconnect was that, that other students or experiencing in their experiences of church. There, there was a lack of relationship between the students and the adults, which was weird to me because that's one of the unique things about rural life. Everything is so relational, uh, for better or worse, right? <laughs> you are often more likely to get a job based on your relationships or your business either succeeds or grows based on your, uh, on your relationship. Um, but the model for student ministry has largely been to hire some young person to do that work for us. Um, so I spent the next 15 years or so in youth ministry champion this, championing this need um, to, um, to build mentoring relationships into our ministries, uh, for the church to really care about students in their own relationships with them, um, rather than just paying a youth pastor to entertain and teach our students um, or completely failing to reach our youth in their communities because their church didn't have the resources to hire someone. Um, I'm now serving as a pastor uh, of two rural churches um, and continuing to lead in this direction of building relationships with 
new generations of folks. Um, it's it's not just a youth ministry issue. I, I've come to see that it's it's a church wide issue um, that we uh, we sometimes lack those relational pieces with new people um, and other people outside of our adult congregation uh, in our community. Mm -hmm. Kind of piggybacking on that, um, as you're talking about sort of some of these challenges that churches face as a whole, can you kind of tell us a little more about the challenges that rural churches are facing today specifically? So what are those challenges, but then also what are the possibilities that are there for opportunity for growth? Yeah, so that's what I'm really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> so the first workshop I did after I started uh, my Grow Little Ministries blog um, was entitled Freed to Lead from No to Grow. Because one of the biggest challenges that our rural churches face is this mindset of no. Um, we have no youth ministry because we have no money to hire a youth pastor, because we have no young people to volunteer. We have no money and no young people to volunteer because our community has no jobs. Uh, we have no jobs because that just keeps spiraling into this blame game of pointing fingers at politics and corporate America and all kinds of things. Um, and now we're saying we have no ministry happening because we can't meet in person and we have no internet access or skills or desire uh, to use that access. Um, so when churches are stuck in this mindset, um, they've asked me questions like, how can we get more people in the church without playing Johnny One Note music? <laughs> that, that is a question that I was asked. <laughs> That kind of question is all about numbers and um, personal comforts. This mindset of no takes us through a thought process of how do we get what we don't have? When we should be asking, how do we share the gospel with our in-church neighbors, with what we do have? We have to stop thinking about what we don't have and start recognizing, appreciating, and using what we already have for the sheer love of God and, and sharing the gospel with the next generation. Um, in one of my more recent blog posts, I talk about helping our rural churches thrive by helping our rural communities thrive. We need to meet the needs of our communities and open up doors to those relationships with our neighbors. We need to share life with our neighbors so that we can share faith with our neighbors. That might look different in different communities with different passions for ministry and different resources. Um, but for the past year, I've been developing um, a group of community stakeholders to look at the needs of the community and how we might address those needs. We've started our own nonprofit entity so that we can apply for grant funding and get some projects going to meet local needs for jobs and education, access to healthcare, childcare, um, and other of those sort of infrastructure kinds of pieces. Um, we're working to partner with entrepreneurs and um, local artisans to help grow their businesses and their business skills. Um, we're looking at some faith-based curriculum to offer classes to the community. Uh, and we're upfront about having a faith-based approach. Uh, we're, we're going to cover all our projects in prayer and trust the Lord to guide us and send us the right people and the resources to get the, that job done. Um, 
I say all of this and it sounds like we've really got something going. It is all still in the early stages of a first project, um, but this is the vision and I believe that it will come together. We aren't the only community doing something like that. We have visited with uh, folks who've been doing this for a number of years and we're adapting their model of ministry for our project. So I've seen the results in other communities. Um, it's well worth the effort. Opens so many doors to relationships and discipleship in the community. And, and it's Wesleyan, right? Go to the people. <laughs> the, the idea of moving from no to grow, that is going to stick with me for a while. Because yeah. I think that is, that's not just the mindset of, of a lot of smaller churches, but of larger churches as well. Because sometimes it's easy to say, well, no, we can't do that, or no, that doesn't fit our paradigm, or no, that that's not how we work. Um, so I, I want to kind of push ahead a little bit then, because I know you're very interested and very involved in thinking about the role of rural ministry in a new traditional Methodist denomination. So what are some yeah. of the issues that this new denomination will need to address in resourcing rural churches and their pastors. I mean, I know I get emails and phone calls from pastors of rural churches all the time asking questions like, how do we get a pastor? You know, things like that in, in the new denomination. So uh, what are some of the issues that you see as you as you work in that context and some of the things that we need to be addressing? Yeah. So my hope ultimately is that Many of our churches already have a pastor who's going to stick with them through this transition, but I know that's not going to be the case for all of our rural churches. Um, a lot of our rural churches are in two, three, and sometimes even four point charges. Um, and so we need to recognize now that even some of those partnerships will go in different directions. Um, so many of them have been supporting a part-time license local pastor. There's going to need to be some sort of shifting of charge relationships to continue to support those pastors. Um, we're going to have to be gracious and flexible through that transition time as well um, with those, those church partner relationships. Um, licensed local pastors are probably, I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but at least in our district, that's what makes up uh, the bulk of our pastors in the rural churches. Um, and they're uncertain about their role in the new denomination. Um, but I know that they're going to be needed through this transition, um, even if that LLP position isn't a defined role in the new denomination. Um, there has to be some way that we can include those pastors. Um, many of them are bivocational and never intended to seek ordination for a variety of reasons. Um, maybe some of them do need to answer that call, but um, at least in the beginning, there's gonna be such a need for pastors um, that we have to figure out how they can keep serving uh, through that transition time. Um, the other concern that I've heard a lot about is the possibility of just getting shut down by the conference. Um, if, if your conference is leaning more in the other direction, um, there's a number of churches and, and clergy that, that don't want to put themselves out there and align themselves in one place or another just yet, um, because they're afraid of, of either not having a job or, um, or having their church shut down. 
Um, I know there's a few cases of that happening. There's one in our conference. Um, and primarily, in my opinion, um, it seems to be a strategic real estate kind of deal. Um, so not to disrespect anyone's church property, <laughs> but <laughs> if you really think about it, um, would a struggling denomination really want your rural church property? Some of sometimes that answer is going to be maybe, um, and sometimes that answer is going to be no, probably not, based on your location and whether or not it's really um, a, a a good mission field for uh, a more liberal denomination church plant. Um, if they would not really be successful, more successful in planting. Um, another church there um, or selling that space for a sizable gain, um, then you probably don't have too much to worry about uh, with your conference shutting you down. Uh, they're not gonna want a property that, um, that really isn't um, useful <laughs> to them. Um, Either way, uh, I just, I want to encourage people to commit all of these words to God in prayer um, and just trust that whatever happens is for the best. Uh, remember Job, uh, let everything be stripped from you except your faith and trust God for the outcome. Uh, trust that your, your restoration will be even better. Uh, the new denomination um, may need to be ready to plant or restart some rural churches, too. Um, I think our conference has focused a lot on planting churches in um, in urban and, and, and suburban areas. And they're just now, uh, they've just now this year started a Missouri Rural Connection team and really looking at how does the conference support the rural churches. Um, because our conference is primarily rural churches, <laughs> and uh, so um, I think that I think that's going to be something that the the denomination needs to be aware of. Is you know don't just look at the urban and the and suburban areas. Um, there's people out here that uh, that love Jesus and and want to share the gospel too. I know that's been a big part of our discussion at the WCA council level is about how we serve rural churches and how we think creatively about ways to do that. Because I think, as you said, initially, there's going to be a lot of upheaval. And um, yeah. the old days of, of every church gets a pastor, that's not going to be true for anybody across the board, the post-separation UMC or the the new denomination. So we have to think in terms of creative partnerships. I know we interviewed Adam Weber uh, a few a few episodes ago, and they do they do a lot of things where they partner with a church. So, like a larger church might partner with uh, some smaller churches and say, "We'll help to resource you um, with technology, with you know uh, people uh, to help with that, you know, within that sphere of orbit and things like that." So that so that there is vital ministry taking place in those in those rural places, but not necessarily you know, having to do it the traditional old way. And I think COVID's also teaching us about what really is the value of our church building. 
and I think that's true for every church. What what really is the value of our building? Uh, can we be the church without it? And the answer in most cases is, yeah, we certainly can. In fact, we're learning better ways to do that. So, um, so I think I think what you've said is is quite interesting and and quite hopeful um, mm-hmm. in terms of thinking about that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of along that same note, you gave us such a good word of encouragement a few minutes ago, Megan. As I think about uh, rural churches, I know here in the state of Oklahoma, I serve on the as secretary on the Oklahoma uh, WCA Oklahoma chapter board. And uh, I know that we have talked with a lot of our rural church pastors to say, you are not forgotten. You're not alone. Don't worry. We're all in this together. And so what other words of encouragement would you offer or even words of advice for these pastors of what they should be doing in this season of waiting? Yeah. So it is, it is easy in the rural church to feel kind of isolated and alone and forgotten. Um, I hear that a lot uh, from, from folks that the conference has forgotten us or doesn't care about us and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I guess I would say, um, well, for those that are thinking um, that you won't have a pastor um, or that it's going to be hard to get a pastor because you're rural, um, or if you are concerned about your job as a pastor, I just, I guess I would ask everybody to just stop thinking no and consider how your ministry is vital to your community and to the kingdom. Um, If you're focused on making disciples in this waiting period, then you're going to be fine. Uh, This this is going to be a weird, frustrating little bump on your church history. Um, But on the other hand, if your ministry is just totally on hold in the waiting, um, this season is just going to be that much more traumatic. one of my churches lost 10 people before the special general conference session ever happened. Um, and that was a really hard hit and it still hurts. Um, but we're still here and, and God's still here. Ministry must go on. Um, we cannot stay focused on what we don't have um, or what we're afraid we might not have because We have to focus on what on what we do have. God has already equipped us. He has planted us here. He has called us to make disciples. Um, and so we have to leverage what God has already provided for that work. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches about money and possessions. Um, and that's really what a lot of our worries boil down to right now. Um, we will have, will we have our building or not? Um, will we be able to afford our pastor or not? Um, Jesus says in verses 31 to 34, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
And isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't even know if our students will be in school next week. You know, <laughs> we've got enough trouble for today. So make disciples today and every day for the next year. And God's going to take care of the other details. Um, and, and pastors, if your churches are stuck in this mindset of no and worry, um, take some time to, to help them rediscover their passion for ministry and God's call to them individually. I was just talking about that with my coach um, earlier this month. I've uh, been having some 30-minute phone calls uh, with some of my members who I think might be most receptive. And I'm checking in with them and just asking them some some questions to sort of coach them and bring out that passion again and that vision in them again. Um, and hopefully that will lead to some follow-up conversations and, and group conversations around common threads um, and move them toward action. Um, anyway, the bottom line is God knows the plan. He already knows how all this plays out. His plan is good. So trust him and, and go and make disciples. Your enthusiasm is contagious. I'm inspired <laughs> just listening to you here. Uh-huh. And, yeah. um, and, and I know that, that you are consulting with a lot of rural ministries. You've got your, your website, growingruralministries.com. Tell us about what kind of things you can help uh, rural churches with in these days. So I have uh, almost three years worth of blog posts on that website. Um, I post new content once or twice a month. Um, and uh, on my resources page, there's some recommended reads um, that might be helpful uh, to you. Um, and I also, uh, I'm available to, to offer coaching um, and um, I can do consulting with, with uh, your church council or uh, with your district, um, speaking engagements and things like that to help um, encourage. And um, if anyone's interested in the, the nonprofit rural development project that I talked about earlier, um, in my blog post from May 19th, it's called To See Rural Ministries Thrive, We Need to Help Our Rural Communities Thrive. Um, there's a link to pick up a free resource that I created on developing that entity. Um, so check that out and you can get that resource for free. We'll make sure uh, we put that in the show notes for everyone. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I offer coaching and consulting services um, and those details are on my services page. Um, so check out my website at growingrealministries.com. I love to hear stories of rural ministry, um, the, the good stuff and, and the tough stuff. Uh, and I love to help pastors and churches dream dreams and discover uh, God's resources uh, for making disciples. Well, this is fantastic, Megan. One of the things that I love about what you're doing is that you're drawing this community together, this community of rural churches, rural pastors, rural congregations, so that they really can know that they are not alone. So friends, I would just encourage you to go to her website, growingruralministries.com. Check out all the things that she talked about. And Megan, we just want to say a word of thanks to you for your ministry and also for spending time with us today. Thanks for being with us. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, friends, we hope that you'll join us again for the next episode of Holy Conversations. But before you do that, we hope that you will check us out on Twitter. You can find us at WCA Pod as our Twitter handle. You can also email us any questions, thoughts, suggestions you have at podcast at Wesleyan Covenant. And so make sure to to write us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Let us know how you feel about it. We're excited to be in ministry with each one of you. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing. And I hope you'll join us again on Holy Conversations. We'll see you next time.